Wasn't today a beautiful day? Clear skies, clean, smell good, and your allergies are just giving you fits, right? <laughs> yeah, I hear you. That's just where we live. Anyway, it's good to see you all here this evening. I just want to ask before I get started, how many people this evening just had a hard time getting here tonight? Just, it was hard. It was like people were throwing obstacles across you and the whole nine yards. And sometimes it gets a little stressful on Tuesday nights. Would you agree? I would agree. It's, it's stressful for me tonight, so me to get here tonight. Um, but, you know, stress is really a normal part of our everyday life. We really, um, we can't live without it. In fact, there are some experts out there that say that stress is good and even necessary in order for us to function. Um, there was an article in Women's Day magazine, and, and it gave seven ways stress can actually be good for you. Are you feeling that one? <laughs> well, here, here's a, here are a few of the ways that they said that this was good. Uh, it said that stress can help you to be more creative. And uh, there's an expert that said stress is usually part of our normal creative processes and that most writers or artists would probably say that their best work often comes as a result of a lot of stressful wrestling with different ideas until they get that creative breakthrough. Um, I wish I could feel that way as a writer of these studies, but I'm not there yet. God's still working on that. Another benefit of stress is it may help us with problem solving. Uh, experiencing stress uh, due to a dilemma or from having to make a big decision may actually be good for you. Uh, they say stress brings our values into focus, and it helps us to decide what to do. So that's a good thing about stress. And then moms, I think you can appreciate and probably identify this, uh, stress may actually help to keep your kids safe. It says um, some experts feel that mothers who feel more stress may keep their kids out of harm's way because they're more watchful and more aware of their surroundings and the things that might threaten their children. So a little, mo a little motherly stress is normal because it can increase your alertness. So uh, if you find any benefit in that, those stressful little moments in life at all, uh, take them to heart. It could be a good thing because some natural stress or tension in our lives is good. You know, sometimes it gets our adrenaline going and keep, get, gets us moving. But we all know from our experiences in life that stress can go to distress in no time flat. And there's a big difference between the two. And we can go to a whole nother level of emotional and spiritual anguish where we're overwhelmed and it causes us to take our eyes off Jesus. So tonight we'll learn where we can go and how we are to pray when we're overwhelmed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you this evening, Lord, and we just thank you, Lord God, that you are the rock that we can run to, Father, that you are the strength, Lord, and our refuge and our strong tower, Lord God. Lord, teach us tonight, Father, not to get um, entrapped by our emotions and get distracted by our circumstances, Lord, but to keep our eyes and our minds and our hearts fixed on you, Lord. 
Lord, as we study this uh, prayer of David, Father, help us to know how to pray when we are overwhelmed. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I think I may have mentioned to you guys in in a previous study that uh, several years ago, we did a study in the women's Bible study on the book of Psalms. And that was before, of course, our wonderful Trudy and Karen uh, started to uh, bless us with these wonderfully rich studies that the Lord had given them uh, to give to us. And, And I had pinged them earlier to ask, you know, how long have you guys been doing this? And believe it or not, they've been doing it for about 16 years now. Isn't that a blessing? It's been an awesome blessing. Anyway, at the time that we were doing the Psalms, before they, they started writing our studies, I was a little fairly new in the Lord, just, you know, starting to get, get my feet wet here at Pasadena. And I just didn't, I wasn't feeling the Psalms at all. They were depressing. They were a downer. They were just heavy to me. You know, the passages were not you know, what I thought were the most uplifting things uh, to read and to study. And David in particular, you know, he shared everything. He shared his fears. He shared his anxieties, his distress, his failures, his shame, his sadness, and all of the many ups and downs of his human and spiritual experiences. And if you think about it, and, and I was, as I was kind of thinking about how transparent he was in how he pinned his psalms, I thought he actually pioneered social media. (laughs) Think about it. Think about it. The psalms were the Facebook of his day. He shared his private pain in public. Isn't that what people do? Literally blogging his triumphs and his trials through the psalms. And, you know, you go on Facebook and, you know, Instagram and all these places. That's what people are doing. They're just burying their hearts and souls to the world, whether we want to know it or not. And his psalms were made public in songs given to the tabernacle choir director to be sung in corporate worship. So these were not just private little bloggings. These were then translated into music and song to be shared in corporate worship in the tabernacle. Today, we have hymns and worship songs like one of the ones we sang tonight um, that are totally based on David's psalms. So think about how many people over the centuries have read his posts, how often they must have been encouraged to read or to sing how somebody else has gone through the same anguish, pain, and disappointment that they've experienced. David, in particular, was able to put those real deep emotions into words in his cries out to God. As I've walked longer with the Lord now and experienced both the peaks and the valleys of life, I've come to love David's, what I have retitled, faith book posts in the Psalms. He says so well the things that I'm often thinking but can't quite find the words to express. And oftentimes I don't have words at all. Out of a total of 150 psalms, he wrote about 73 psalms that are directly attributed to him. That's almost half of all of the psalms that were written. And a good number of his psalms were prayers. So we're going to look at his prayer in Psalm 61 tonight when David was at an extremely distressed time in his life. He was completely overwhelmed by his circumstances and turned to the only one he knew He could absolutely trust with his feelings, his protection, and his praise. 
So I'm going to read Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. Selah. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life, his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever that I may daily perform my vows. Although this is a very short psalm, it's a very powerful personal prayer. Through David, the Lord teaches us three things we can do as we pray when we are overwhelmed. One, we can make a personal plea to God, as he did in verses 1, verses, verses, uh, one verse through 4. Two, we can rely on the personal promises of God that we find in verses 5 through 7. And three, we can offer personal praise and devotion to God, as he did in verse 8. This psalm is titled, Assurance of God's Eternal Protection. And what an encouraging title that is for this prayer. This is the first of uh, several psalms, Psalms 61 through 64, with the theme of trusting God in times of trouble. The backstory surrounding the circumstances that led David to even write these psalms was uh, tragic. It was ripping at his heart as a father and as a king. David was exiled from Jerusalem due to the treason, treason of his own son Absalom. Second Samuel chapters 15 through 18 record Absalom's public betrayal of his father before all of Judah. To avoid having to take up arms against his own son, David fled Jerusalem and exiled on the other side of the Jordan River to Gilead. David could have easily stayed in Jerusalem and fought and won against Absalom. Jerusalem is a walled city. It was built for battle. Uh, Absalom was in Hebron. He would have to have come against David and his mighty men and his army in that walled city. David could have easily defended himself and never had to leave the Jerusalem at all, but he chose to do so. This was not a good time for David. His failings as a father bore fruit in the treachery of his son. This affected not only him, but the people he was responsible to protect. And his son, who David had looked the other way for his past offenses, was now dead. He had died at no man's hand, but at the hand of the Lord, exercising his sovereign justice against the rebellious traitor of Israel. David was in deep mourning, even crying out in his grief that he would have rather died in Absalom's place in order to spare his son. And that's recorded in 2 Samuel 18.33. His distress was deep and personal. His daughter Tamar had been raped. His son Amnon had been murdered. And Absalom had conspired against him and met the shameful death of being hung on a tree. So David directed to his chief musician to put his sorrow to song. And even as mournful as this prayer begins, and it's pretty sad at the beginning, it's put to music which must have soothed him and the other hearers of this song. 
David held nothing back in sharing his trials and triumph in psalms and corporate worship. He was not shy or embarrassed about what he was going through, ladies. And that's what I thought was so uh, insightful about this psalm. It was very, very personal. Verses 1 through 4 clearly make this a very personal prayer and plea to God. He says, hear my cry, O God, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you when my heart is overwhelmed. Throughout this psalm, David speaks in the first person, I, me, my, hear my cry, attend to my prayer. I will cry when my heart is overwhelmed. You have been a shelter to me. Lead me. I will abide. I will trust. This was a personal, intimate conversation between David and God. He invited no priests to this conversation, although he had Zadok and Abiathar serving in that capacity. He asked no friends in, although he had loyal ones like Joab that he could call on. He consulted no counselor from his high court. Ahithophel had already betrayed him and defected over to Absalom. He confided in no spouse, although we know he had many. He sought advice from neither his father, mother, nor sister that we can see. He prayed personally and wholeheartedly to Elohim, the creator of the universe. It was just between him and his maker. So, ladies, who is the first person that you run to when you are overwhelmed? Uh, I was telling Trudy and Karen and Gloria earlier, um, this has been quite a week um, as I've been preparing for the study and whatnot. And I've had several people come to me, well, not several, but a couple of sisters in the Lord come to me with some really, really heavy burdens. Um, one sister came to me devastated about something that was literally going to tear her family apart and just very heavy-hearted. But by the time she called me, she said she had already gone for a walk, a two-hour walk, and she walked with the Lord, and she cried, and she cried out, and she prayed. And for two hours, it was just her and Jesus. Nobody else didn't get on the phone and say, hey, girlfriend, let me tell you my troubles. She didn't do that. She went straight to the Lord. And because I was going into this study, the Lord allowed me to minister to her because that's where she was coming from and what she was coming to. When we have things in our lives that overwhelm us, we must make it real and make it personal with God when we go to him in prayer. Always, but especially when we are overwhelmed by the trials of living in a fallen and even world. When we call, he will answer and meet us where we are. He's always there to guide us and for us to cling to, to love, and lead us. Psalm 86.7 by David also says that in the day of my trouble, I will call upon you for you will answer me. And then God says in Jeremiah 33.3, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And then Jesus says in Luke 11.9, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. 
we must make a personal plea to God at all times, but especially when we are overtaken by the unexpected yet inevitable consequences of living with imperfect people, including ourselves. The Lord knows our burdens and wants us to cast our care on him because he cares for us, 1 Peter 5, 7. But your plea can only be as personal as your relationship with the Lord. So how well are you nurturing that intimacy, that close personal relationship with God? A couple of ways that you can do that is, you know, by daily reading and the study of the word. And, and ladies, this is not just on Sundays or on Tuesdays. This is personal study, not necessarily corporate study when we come here, which is great because we have great teaching and great teachers. But are you in a book of your own? Are you studying a topic? Are you uh, delving into a particular character in the Bible? What's your independent study of the word of God? Have daily devotions. These allow us to meditate and focus on addressing, uh, you know, a biblical character or character attribute or principle or godly attitude. That's what your devotional time with the Lord is about. It's about going to him and meditating on, on these types of things. You can grow closer to the Lord by memorizing scripture. Um, me personally, I was better at that about 25 years ago than I am today. <laughs> But still, I, I try to diligently apply myself to memorizing God's word. It's important because that's what you're going to draw on when you get to those heavy, dark times. Not your emotions, not the things that you would normally go to in your flesh. Journal your prayers and conversations with the Lord. I'm not a big journaler. I'm getting better at it. Uh, I'm not as consistent with it as I would like to be, but I am starting to write down his promises and the answers that he's made to my prayers. This is how we can develop and cultivate our relationship with the Lord. David says, hear my cry, O God, and attend to my prayer. He's asking God to carefully listen to him, to pay close attention and grant his request. It's similar to what you would kind of say to your children if you were speaking to him, like, you need to listen to me right now, okay? I'm, I'm talking to you right now. I need to listen. You need to listen to me so you'll understand what I'm telling you so you can do what I say. That's kind of what he's saying to God. Attend to my prayer. Listen to me, Lord. I'm crying out to you. My heart is heavy. You speak with the expectation that you will be heard when you talk to the Lord, that he will heed what you are asking, and that he will do it if it's according to his will. That was Dave, David's expectation of God. And David's, I got to tell you, prayer was not made in a firm, manly tone. He didn't say, well, God, you know, as I come here with my feelings before you. Cry is translated in this passage as a piercing, mournful wail to the Lord from the depths of his heart, born out of the grief and sorrow of his situation. Um, no coincidences in the Lord. We had a devotion uh, earlier today, and uh, it was about someone's pet cats. And I have an analogy here for the type of mournful cry that David probably gave out. Uh, we have a, a little cat. Her name is Pepper. And in human years, she's somewhere between 88 and 89 years old. So she's kind of, you know, she's up there. Uh, in the last several years, though, in her old age, she has developed this creaking, 
shrieking, insistent meow. I won't even try to duplicate it for you because it just sets my teeth on edge every time I hear it. It really gets your attention, and she's got my husband totally trained by it. She gets results. That meow, that shrieking, shrill sound breaks through and gets your attention and causes you to attend to her needs. This is what David did with the Lord in his prayer. He mourned, he wailed, he shrieked out to God in pain and distress. This is how desperately overwhelmed David was by his son's death and his own exile. He implores God to hear and to act on his behalf. Then he says, from the end of the earth, I will cry to you. He was crying out from his extreme emotional distress and from his geographical alienation. His prodigal son and the promised land were very far from him at the time. Even though David was only two or three days journey from Jerusalem, it must have seemed a world away. There were no familiar surroundings. He didn't have his own bed to sleep in. He didn't have his own court that he was familiar with. He was exiled. So his cry came from a bleak place in his heart and in his spirit. His entire being was seeking God from the deepest and farthest reaches of his soul. He was in the outer wilderness of his heart and his home. But God is near to us, ladies, and he hears our worried, frantic prayers, regardless of how distant we feel he is in that moment. The Lord says that if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us, James 4, 9, 4, 8. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth, Psalm 145, 18. The Lord never leaves us or forsakes us, even in our most troubled circumstances. And then continuing on in verse 2, as David cries out, he describes the condition of his heart before the Lord. He says his heart is overwhelmed. Overwhelmed means that his heart or soul is wrapped or covered over in darkness. Darkness. He's feeling faint. And I've heard uh, certain people describe uh, what comes over them right before they faint. And they say that it's kind of like darkness just starts to surround them. And before they know it, they just pass out. That's the kind of darkness that was enveloping David. And isn't that how we feel as well when circumstances push us to the wall and bring us to the end of ourselves with no place to turn and no way out? It's like a heavy black curtain coming down on us. David was also feeling smothered by the consequences of the sin and poor decisions both he and his son had made. What overwhelms you when your life gets tough? I I know it's different for everybody because we all have different triggers, different levels of tolerance for stress and distress. But if you ever come on the first Thursday of the month when we have prayer and communion and you hear in a corporate setting the cries of people's hearts and the distresses and how overwhelmed they are, you can hear some of those ways that people are impacted. You may have a burden for your children. Maybe they're not walking with the Lord. They may have health issues or have made some bad choices or their friends are a little on the sketchy side. Maybe you have a desire for companionship or marriage and you wonder why you're still single. Who will be the one? 
you're overwhelmed by God's silence in this area of your life, and the waiting is hard. Maybe it's school or work or both, and you're finding it difficult balancing multiple priorities and responsibilities. You want to get it done, and you want to get it done right, of course, but you find it hard to have time to do both. You're behind schedule and constantly paying catch-up. Or maybe you have financial hardships that have you underwater and late on your financial obligations, and you can never get ahead, and you run out of paycheck before you run out of month. Days and months and weeks go by, and you can barely breathe. Grief due to the loss or the impending loss of a loved one can paralyze us and drive us into depression or discouragement. Maybe you're part of that sandwich generation who's responsible for the primary care of a parent or or grandparent, yet you still have children at home that you're caring for. Or maybe you yourself are in the midst of a life-changing or life-threatening illness, and you don't know what to do and what's going to happen. Maybe you have secret, unconfessed, and unrepentant sin in your life, and you haven't given it to the Lord, and the guilt of it is crushing you. And last but not least, let us not underestimate the power of hormones. (laughs) I guess, you know, when I was in my 20s, 30s, and probably going into my 40s, no one could have prepared me for menopause. They couldn't have told me that I would enter into a time that would be so dark that it was all I could do to keep from screaming. That was my introduction to menopause. And for six to about eight long, chaotic, and dark weeks, I struggled in my spirit every single day. But praise God for a close and godly friend, girlfriend, who prayed for and with me and helped me get through that season. She gave me a devotional that I still cherish uh, today. it's, It's Come Away, My Beloved by Frances Roberts. And... She takes scripture and writes as if the Lord is speaking directly and intimately to you. And I clung to this devotion. I went to bed with it. I woke up with it. I took it to work. It was with me at all times because I needed it. Because if I didn't have it, I was going to scream. Here's a devotion from this, this devotional called The Garden of Fountains. It comes from Isaiah 58, 11 says, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And then this is the devotion that accompanies that passage. It says, behold, my hand is upon you to bless you and to accomplish all my good purpose. For this hour I have prepared your heart, and in my kindness I will not let you fail. Only relinquish all things into my hands, for I can work freely only as you release me by complete committal, both of yourself and others. As was written of old, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he shall bring it to pass. I will be your sustaining strength, and my peace shall garrison your mind. Only trust me, all I do is done in love. Adversities are necessary. They are part of the pattern of life's pilgrimage for every individual, and who can escape them? But I say to you that for those who walk in me and for those who are encircled by the intercessory prayers of my children, 
I will make of the suffering, yes, I will make of the trials a stepping stone to future blessing. My arms are around you, and never have I loved you more. I will make you like a garden of fountains whose streams are fed by the mountain springs. Isn't that beautiful, ladies? You can't help but be incredibly encouraged and blessed and nourished and loved by the way this is written. It ministers in a very personal way, at a very intimate level, and this is just between you and God. This is when I read this. It's like, he's talking to me. He's speaking to my soul, to my heart. It was wonderful. When you find yourself shrouded in darkness and despair, reach for resources rich in the word of God and the light of his truth to bring you through it. Adversities are a part of our journey on this earth. It's a fact that we will not escape them, but we don't have to be overwhelmed by them. We have the light of the Lord to lead us to the other side and to a higher place. Psalm 27.1, another Psalm of David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 43, 3 and 5 says, Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the hope of my continence and my God. And we shine the light of the Lord into the darkness that sometimes overtakes us by going to his word and trusting him instead of our emotions and our limited perspectives. He sees the end from the beginning and guides us through those hard places. Remind yourselves of the light of his truth and trust God in all things. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Second Peter 1.19 says that we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is the light of the word of God that can guide us and lead us through those dark valleys and passages of our lives. But then David says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. This shows David was self-aware rather than self-confident. He knew he had no strength or stability within himself, so he humbled himself and looked for God's guidance to the safety of a higher place than he could get to on his own. Rock actually appears, the word, um, 27 times in the Psalms and four times in this group of Psalms that I mentioned to you before. But Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is the rock and his work is perfect. In Isaiah 44, 8 also says, do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. One thing. Didn't we sing that tonight? One thing. One God. One rock. We can't save ourselves. And David figured that out. And guess what? We can't save anybody else either. We are powerless. Sometimes we do look to others to help us and support us and deliver us from our troubles. And sometimes we try to become that deliverance for them. But that's not our job. Only the rock of our salvation can deliver us from the turmoil in our hearts and in our lives. 
Only the Lord has the power and ability to truly give peace according to his grace and mercy. He is our peace, Ephesians 2.14 tells us, and we take hold of his peace by making our prayers to him up close and personal and by spending time in his word. Next, David's personal history with God adds to his personal plea. He says, for you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. From his battle with Goliath as a young boy to his flight to Gath to escape Saul as a young man and to his present exile in Gilead as an aging king. David had experienced the protection of the Lord against every enemy he had faced, some from within and some from without, and sometimes in situations due to his own foolishness. David drew on the Lord's past performance and protection in his life as a place of physical and spiritual safety and security he could rely on. That's why I think it's so important, ladies, about keeping a record of the things that the Lord has done in our lives or scriptures he has given us that are helpful when we go through those valleys. We can remind and refresh ourselves of how he has protected and provided for us in the past. Our hopes can be, our memories can become our hopes. And since those experiences are unique between you and God, it enhances your personal prayers to God when you're overwhelmed. Verse 4, David's personal plea causes him to also recall a prophetic promise from God. He says, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. And you have to ask, how could how could David possibly think that he could abide in the tabernacle of the Lord forever? Because David was a man after God's own heart and had such a strong personal relationship with the Lord. He had confidence that he would have intimate fellowship with the Lord in time and eternally, eternity, spiritually inside the veil between the cherubim and close to the heart of God. What a comfort that must have been during this this really distressing time for him. He purposed and desired to reside in the sacred dwelling place of the Lord forever. We too, ladies, must abide in the Lord through good times and especially in bad. We can do nothing and can expect nothing if we are not abiding in Christ. John 15, 4 says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Again, David trusted and would take refuge in the covering of God's shelter in a place that only the Lord could put him. And he ends verse 4 with the word selah, which is a musical pause or direction to punctuate a point. It's almost like saying, meditate on this. And then there's silence. We should be focused on trusting God in all things, just as David stated. And we should be meditating on that, abiding in his house where we are secure. Even in his most desperate circumstances, David shows us when we are overwhelmed that we can make a personal plea to God, rooted in our personal relationship with God, staying in the light of God's word, and trusting in God's past protection and provision to see us through and abiding in Christ through love and obedience. Now we're going to look at where we pray when we're overwhelmed, how we rely on the personal promises of God in verses 5 through 7. He says, For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life, his years as many generations. He shall abide forever." He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him. 
At this point, David adds words of rejoicing to his prayer as he remembers the promises the Lord has made to him. God had obviously been very faithful to David and heard his past prayers and commitments, which now gave David the confidence that God would hear him again. You know, once someone has kind of proven themselves trustworthy to you, we tend to trust them and we will lean on them more readily if we have uh, something going on and we need help with a project or, you know, with an event or, you know, prayer. We go to those people. And these are who I call my go-to girlfriends that I have. And, and I can count on them through thick and thin to be there for me regardless. I can, you know, early in the morning, late at night, you know, I can call out to these ladies and I know that they will be there for me because they've done this for me in the past. God was David's go-to deliverer. The Lord had never failed him, and he had boldness to approach God's throne of grace in times of trouble, just as we're instructed to do in Hebrews 4.16. But David had more than past performance from the Lord to rely on. He also had prophetic promises he could look forward to. God had made a covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7, verses 8 through 16, with promises that would be fulfilled beyond his death. So when David speaks of a heritage and of prolonging the king's life and abiding before God forever, he's relying on those personal promises that God had made to him previously. The Davidic covenant promised David's house, kingdom, and throne would be established forever through his descendants. And this lineage would follow all the way through Christ to the ultimate and complete fulfillment of the promise from God. In Matthew chapter 1, David is clearly listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And Jesus was frequently referred to as the son of David during his ministry, which was a messianic title that all Jews were familiar with. David was relying on the personal promises of God looking well beyond his immediate circumstances and rejoicing in the hope the Lord had given him. Sometimes the promises of God for us ladies aren't for today. Sometimes it's for our growth and for our patience in waiting on him for future fulfillment. But he is still our go-to God. He is faithful and will never forget his commitment to us and the work that he is doing in us. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says that all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. 1 John 2.25 says, and this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. God certainly wants us to have victory over our present circumstances, but the greater victory, victory we have in Christ is living in the future light and promise of eternal life with our Lord and Savior. Nothing could possibly overwhelm us and plunge us into emotional and spiritual darkness when Jesus has already fought every battle and won the war. We live in the light and promises of the Son of David, our Messiah. We have an inheritance in Christ Jesus not because of anything we've done, but because God promised us we have salvation by grace through faith in the Son of David, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have an everlasting covenant from God. Selah and amen. If you're not sure where to find the promises in God's word, when you start to read your Bible, mark his promises as you run across them 
in, in a different highlight color or put P next to them or do whatever you need to do to identify those promises in his word. So when you are troubled, you don't have to be searching blindly through your, through your Bible. You can immediately see those places that God has made promises for you. If you need a more directed study in the promises of God, get some resources. There are lots of books that talk about the promises of God, you know, uh, and I'm sure if you go upstairs, Henry will be very blessed that you visited him. But go and seek out resources. This is promises of joy. This is God's promises for your every need. This has a, a table of contents that basically runs through every single situation, need, question, doubt, fear that we have. And it has nothing but scripture in it of God's promises related to those issues. This thing I love, it's 365 Bible promises to bless your heart. And this basically is just a calendar that has scriptures in it. And every day you can just turn to that calendar. It has the scripture in there, and then it has a little brief um, devotion. And guess what it says for today, March the 9th? It says, March the 8th, rather. It says, do not be anxious about anything. But in all things, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. Is God awesome or what? I didn't plan that. Just saying. But, but do things that will help you to become more familiar with the promises of God. His promises are like gold nuggets, ladies. We can cherish them. We can count on them. It doesn't matter if the market is up or if it's down. The value of his promises never change. Never change. And then finally, when you pray and you're overwhelmed, offer your personal praise and devotion to God, as David did in verse 8. This was kind of like David's hallelujah chorus, if you think about it. He was bringing his prayer of distress to just this wonderful crescendo of praise to the Lord. He went from desperately crying out to the Lord to remembering God's promises and joyously singing praises to the Lord forever. He didn't allow his outlook to change his uplook. That's what I liked about David. When he says he will perform his vows to the Lord, he's saying he will pay in full his praise to the Lord for the peace of mind of a future and an eternal inheritance that God had given to him and his descendants. David was offering his devotion to the Lord through praise. And, and, and it was not just duty. Religion is duty. Relationship is devotion. That's the difference. David was going to rely on the personal assurance of God that he gave him in that Davidic covenant, and he was committing to praising him in an ending devotion for that promise. We should never, ladies, run out of reasons to praise and thank the Lord. In our daily devotions, and I think I shared with this with you in my um, study on Thanksgiving, we need to be praising God and thanking him continually in our prayers for all of the things that he's done, all of the things that he's going to do, all of the things that are, he is going to address in our lives, we need to be giving that devotion of praise and thanks to him. Charles Spurgeon said, God daily performs his promises. Let us daily perform our vows. He keeps his covenant. Let us not forget ours. 
Our vows are to abide in faith, love, and obedience to what the Lord commands us and in response to his promises for us. We are to live in our live with our eyes focused on Jesus, regardless of our circumstances, during the peaks and especially in the val- in the valleys. And David just provides just a wonderful example, ladies, of how he lived in the light of the promises of God, knowing that he might fail, but that God never would. So when you are overwhelmed, make a personal plea to God and don't hold back. Make it real and make it personal with God. When we call, he will answer and his light will pierce our darkness. Rely on the personal promises of God. Become familiar with and pray the promises of God. He is faithful. He will not fail us. And finally, offer personal praise and devotion to God. Make a personal daily commitment to lift up praise and thanks to the Lord as you remember all that he's done and will do for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord, and we do thank and praise you, Lord, that you are the the one and only God, the one and only rock, our shelter, our refuge, our strong tower, Father. You are our covenant God, Father, and you keep your promises, Lord. You fail not, Father. So we just ask now, Lord, for the hearts that are heavy here tonight, Lord God, minister to them, Lord. Remind them of your protection and your provision in their lives, Lord. Give them those promises, Lord, to cling to and to lean to, Father, when those ways are hard, Lord, when they have no words for what they're feeling and what they're experiencing, Lord. Lead them to your rock that is higher than ourselves, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, for David. Thank you for his vulnerability and his transparency and his honesty, Lord God. May we be equally so in our prayers to you. We thank you and we praise you and we lift these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.